Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast for your free audiobook. Hi, this is Rachel True, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is April Rain, creator of the Oscar So White hashtag, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Episode 62 of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. This episode is titled Lovey, Leslie Harris, Amanda Seals, and a Tribe Called Geek. So, in our first segment, we have Lovey. You've heard of her. Awesomely Lovey is the name of her popular website, and she's also a digital strategist as well as a social media maven. And now she's an author. In this segment interview, she drops a pretty awesome exclusive about her book, so listen out for that. So she really provides a lot of great insight, especially for all of you guys out there that want to use social networking as a tool to help build your brand. Segment one is co-hosted by Lauren and Mel. In segment two, I interviewed Leslie Harris. So you may have heard of our 90s live tweet that we do on a bi-weekly basis. We actually had live tweeted Just Another Girl on the IRT, which is a huge favorite film of mine. And I was honored that Leslie Harris herself had acknowledged the fact that we were doing these live tweets. We connected via Twitter and had her on the podcast to talk about not only her work on that film, but also her experience as a black woman filmmaker. And this is very timely, given the fact that the Academy Awards is airing this evening. Leslie Harris drops some very good information about what it's like to be a woman dealing with a lot of the gatekeeping that happens in Hollywood and all of the pushback that she's gotten. She hasn't had an opportunity to direct her second film yet, and she goes into detail as to why that is. That segment is co-hosted by Joelle, Karan, and Kayla. In segment three, we interviewed Amanda Seals. Amanda is a comedian, she's an entertainer, a VJ, she's a woman of several trades, and she talks to us about her new web series under Issa Rae's production company, 
as well as just talking in general about what it's like working in the online space and building and creating your own content. And also her work as a stand-up comedian. It's not an easy job and she goes into detail about how she's been able to prepare for that and how she's just been able to build her career over time. So it's an incredibly funny interview. Amanda was a delight to talk to and be prepared to be doing a lot of laughing. And that interview is co-hosted by Joelle and LaTanya. Finally, in segment four, we interviewed Johnny J. Johnny J is the co-creator of a website called A Tribe Called Geek. A Tribe Called Geek is a website for indigenous nerds. So think of black girl nerds for native peoples. And she has all types of content, very similar to what we have here on our site. They have content that focuses on cosplay, comics, STEM, art, literature, entertainment. They also have a podcast. And Johnny talks to us about why she created this website, why niche communities are important, and why we need to represent ourselves in spaces where mainstream media tends to dismiss and erase us. So it's a very informative interview, especially for those of you that are about carving yourself into niche spaces. And that interview is co-hosted by new co-host, Jan Monk. So I hope you enjoy episode 62. It's a fully packed fun-filled episode. Take notes, prepare to be laughing a lot, and I hope you get a lot out of it. These are some really great guests, and I had a lot of fun putting this show together for you. Episode 62 is coming at you. Lovey is a writer, digital strategist, red pump rocker, techie, and professional troublemaker. You know her best from her popular blog called Awesomely Lovey. She's been blogging for 12 years, and her blog is a place where she talks about all things pop culture, from TV to social media to life's random adventures. You can find her at awesomelylovey.com, and on Twitter, you can find her at L-U-V-V-I-E Lovey. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. I am here with co-hosts Lauren and Mel, and we have a social media heavyweight. You have seen her tweets everywhere, and you've likely heard of her blog. It's called Awesomely Lovey. We have Lovey here on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Well, for anyone that's currently living under a rock and don't know, tell us who you are and, and what you do. <laughs> um, I am a writer. I'm a digital strategist and a professional troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> I write on awesomelylovey.com. I cover all things pop culture. I cover race. I, I cover shenanigans that come across my attention. I just really write about Anything y'all feel like? I I first found out about your site, Awesomely Lovey, about four years ago, and I was addicted to your snark and your creative use of vernacular that Black Twitter has somehow adopted quite extensively, like words like tomb out, 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what led you to write the way that you do? Um, I write like I, like I talk. And I think once you know some rules, you can break them. And I know English. I know how to write in a very straightforward way. But I think it just infuses some more fun when somebody can read your writing and hear your voice, too. So I like to use the words that I will say, and I'll figure out how to spell it in the way I will say it. So talking about is one. So instead of saying talking about, a lot of times when you're talking really fast, you say, what are you talking about? So I spell that T-A-L-M-B-O-U-T. <laughs> Uh, I try to go over to your website, Awesomely Techie, um, every couple of weeks because you have such great advice on there, especially like um, back in January, I read that your article on hashtags as intellectual property, and I never mm -hmm. thought of that until I read it. So I was wondering what inspired you to come up with that website? So Awesomely Techie is a site that I have where I talk about all things technology, business, and how to really use all these tools that we have to make your life a little bit easier. Um, professionally, my background is in marketing and digital communications, and I do a lot of talks at conferences on these different topics. So I've actually wanted to have a website dedicated to the how-tos of technology, to you know how to work faster and more efficiently instead of harder. So this website was a long time coming, and I finally did it in 2014. So I like to pass on the lessons I learned as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a writer, and as somebody who's basically obsessed with intellectual property. Um, so, yeah, that site is basically a culmination of my interests and my passion and my skills. There's a lot of great advice on it. Yeah, I, I remember seeing some information about um, intellectual property, and I think it was the badge that you had on your site, mycopyright.com. And when I first created a blog um, many, many moons ago, I had saw the, the tag that was on your site and, and used that very badge to you know feel like that that was a way to protect my site. Do, do you feel like having those kinds of badges like mycopyright.com and, and other badges help kind of ward off people from copyright infringement of blogs? Well, I think it really just kind of puts people on notice. Right. That you are paying attention and that you do care how your content is used. Now, a lot of people don't care that it's there and they will still infringe on your rights. But I always say it's really important to know what your rights are. So when it does happen, you feel more confident about battling it and getting it rectified. Okay. Um, you have such a unique, you know, voice to your writing. Did you find that it came naturally or is it something that you had to work on over time, you know, blogging and tweeting? Well, of course, with everything, practice makes not perfect because nothing's perfect, but practice makes much better. Um, I mean, you get to get more comfortable in your voice as you write more. Um, so that has definitely been something for me. I've been blogging for 13 years at this point. So I've had a lot of practice. I've had a lot of time to kind of own my voice. So, yeah. Yeah, because I'm trying to get there and I keep hitting a wall. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I'm like, this is fun. This is supposed to be fun. But why am I getting the same anxiety that I used to get when I was writing papers for college? Like, this is not supposed to go like this. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm writing. This should be easier. So you kind of just have to give yourself the room to make mistakes. I think part of it is also understanding that um, it's okay. You're, you're basically going to be talking to your best friends. Like, think about your audience as 10,000 people you're having brunch with. Write for them in that way. And that helps. That really does help in trying to get you to get more comfortable. Just think about if your best friend was the person you were writing this for, how would you talk to her? And that's how I approach my writing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't sit down with the idea of, okay, I'm sending this out to strangers. I'm sending this out to people who already know me. I'm, I'm thinking that way as I write. I think my problem is that I have this really bad habit of reading the comments. So that I can't picture my, talking to my best friend. Instead, I'm looking out the window at that guy who's like glaring at me. So that's what I'm mm-hmm. thinking of. <laughs> Well, then it's like, again, you know, if you're at brunch with your best friend, somebody random might walk by and say something stupid. Mm. So but is I'm... that person right? Like, it's like, do you just let it sideline your brunch because somebody just said something stupid? Or do you bypass it and just be like, ah, moving on? I choose the latter if I ever get any crazy comments. But thankfully for me, I actually have a really amazing audience. My My blog is and people say this too. My blog is one of the few places where people know they can come and read the comments and still feel relatively okay walking away. I've I've built a community that one is very protective of the atmosphere on my blog and the comment section, and two, a community that understands the value of a well moderated space. So if I do get hateful comments, I usually delete them before anybody else even sees them. Right. Um, just because it can change the tone of a space even when you don't want it to be. So, I mean, there are some that I won't see and will bypass me, but before I can even address it, somebody else has already addressed it. And I'm like, all right, cool, let's move on. And I mean, when people leave negative comments on blogs, I just find it funny because you're just helping my traffic. So thanks, dude. And then that person that's saying something mean another person will respond to their mean comment and then that person will respond again to that comment. So you're just bringing in more traffic and, and I'm getting more clicks. So thanks for, for being mean on my site and giving me more traffic. I appreciate that. (laughs) Actually on that, I I had a quick question because I remembered, I do believe it was last week um, when of course, Beyonce released uh, the video to formation. And I think lovey, it was an email that you received from someone who, I guess they didn't want to put this in the comment section, so she felt it prudent to send you an email, sort of um, policing your appreciation. And it led you to do a video in response. I, I guess for those who, who weren't uh, lucky enough to see it, could you kind of give some bullet points of how you uh, on how you addressed that particular reader of your blog? Because I found it quite yeah. entertaining. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I don't know if everyone caught on. Yeah, white woman messaged me and said she loved reading my blog, but she felt like my posts recently have been very us versus them and that I have, my words have power and I should be careful because I haven't been promoting love 
in discussing race with my post recently. So I ended up making a Facebook video about it. Well, I basically ranted about how, like, white people are threatened by how pro-black people are being and just people expressing their pride in being black. So, I mean, the video went crazy. It ended up getting, like, 80,000 views on Facebook. Um, and I wrote it out to just so people who, who missed it could read it. But, yeah, it was just a response to even the larger atmosphere of, I would say disdain that some people have shown black people who've been who've been really just standing in their blackness lately and that email was like wow you really don't appreciate the fact that we love what we look like and my the point that I was really making was that we have to stand in our pride as black people because the world is telling us that there's a liability to be black and when White people say things like, oh, anti-whiteness is happening. Um, another thing to keep in mind of is that anti-whiteness hasn't killed black kids, I mean, white kids. It hasn't shot down, you know, white boys without consequence. So mm -hmm. anti-whiteness at its best is annoyance and hurt feelings when anti, well, at its worst is, is like hurt feelings, but like anti-blackness is a genocide of black people mm. so yeah yeah it was it was a great video um for those who haven't watched it i highly recommend seeking it out on facebook it's a very very interesting video and i know you between awesomely lovey between awesomely techie uh your live tweet schedule and other things you've got going on i wondered if there were plans to resume the podcast you had with scott hanselman the ratchet and the geek podcast Yes, I did have a podcast with Scott Hanselman. Um, I will figure it out because part of the reason why we stopped doing it was because my schedule got so crazy that I couldn't commit to every other week on a certain Thursday because I'd be like flying because last year I had a crazy travel schedule. Yeah. But I had an amazing time doing that podcast with Scott, so it's not off the table yet. We're trying to figure out oh, good. if we can bring it back. Okay, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I subscribed to that podcast, and I was like, what happened? There, there's no new oh, episodes. I happened. <laughs> I was, Scott was like, come on. I'm like, I know. I need to get myself together. So, yeah. So, I understand you have a new book scheduled to come out in the fall called I'm Judging You. Can you share with us some of the details about that? I'm Judging You is my book of essays coming out in September 2016. Uh, it's actually September 13th is the book release date. Um, and it is a book on life, culture, social media, and fame, and really why we're all ridiculous. So it's like my blog on steroids. Um, <laughs> it's brand new stuff. So, you know, this is stuff that people haven't seen from me yet. And, uh, yeah, I worked really hard on it. I'm looking forward to that. And even though my publishers said I can't publicly tell you guys, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> right. but it's, it's actually available for pre-order. So this is actually the first place I am announcing this publicly. They're going to kill me. But I'm going to do it anyway. BG and exclusive. <laughs> do it. Okay, Y'all got an exclusive. It is available everywhere where books are sold. So, yeah. You, you've managed to partner up with various brands because of your work, not only through blogging, but also by way of live tweeting and social media. 
What advice do you have for social media influencers looking to do the same thing? I think it's important to be able to pull to put some analytics behind the work that you do. So part of the reason why um, people partner with me is because I'm bringing you some good stuff to the table. Um, and not just that, my audience pays attention to to what I what I'm doing, what I'm saying. So when I partner with brands um, to live tweet their events or their TV shows, I always back it up with some analytics. That's like, look, here's people paying attention. And they know that they will get some return on their investment when they work with me. So that has certainly helped. So you basically have to show some receipts and also just be on top of it um, in terms of making sure you, you're deliverable, you get them in on time, you're not reneging on contract terms. That's important. Because the easier it is you make it to, for them to work with you, the more ready they are to work with you for the next time. That's excellent advice. When you say analytics, are you talking about like Twitter followers or um, site stats, metrics? What what type of analytics are you speaking yeah, of? Yeah, all of that. All of that. Anything to show them that the money that they spent with you was well invested. How, how many times do people retweet you? Like, you know, were people paying attention? Did you get any notable mentions as you were doing this thing um did your audience comment on the sponsor post so that type of stuff just so they know that okay you're not just all talk that you actually come back with some some like value you already answered my original question so i'm gonna ask you already gave us you know one little exclusive is there any new other news that you want to share with us anything that's happening soon that you know you want to drop on Black Girl Nerds? <laughs> um, I'm starting a newsletter, a, a twice-a-month newsletter, actually. Um, my audience has actually been asking for it for a while, and I haven't done it, and I finally decided I'm going to do it. So my newsletter is going to have my must-reads on the Internet. It's going to have exclusive content that is only going to be in there, in the newsletter. And... Um, Sometimes I might even drop some giveaways. So, yeah, so I'm kicking that off this Thursday, which means people should sign up tomorrow and Wednesday for it. I'm going to drop, I'm going to create a blog post about it so people can have a direct link. Tell us where we can find you on the internet and give us all your social media shout outs. I am very easy to find on the interwebs. I am everywhere. So I'm Lovey, L-U-V-V-I-E, everywhere on, on these interwebs. Um, so on Twitter, on Instagram, you type in at Lovey. And on Facebook, my Facebook page is facebook.com slash awesomely Lovey. And I'm, 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 um, Oh, yeah, I'm on Periscope, too, so I, like, sometimes will drop a random Periscope video on the people. I've been using Periscope more. It's been fun. So, yeah, find me on these webs. Thank you so much for coming on our show, Lovey, and, and thanks for the exclusive about your book. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my, my, my publisher's going to be like, really, Lovey, we told you. 
<laughs> well, you did say you were a troublemaker, so, you know, they really surprising. <laughs> You're just no. keeping it 100 with that. <laughs> If you want to find where my book is, just type in Love You Jai, I'm judging you. And it will pop up. <laughs> and she's still helping. See how that goes? Love it. You see me? Love you it, see love me? it. <laughs> oh, man. If, if I, if I, I'm going to get an email that's like, Love You, you had one job. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Yeah. Leslie Harris is a filmmaker, screenwriter, and producer. She's best known for a film that came out in 1992 called Just Another Girl on the IRT. She's also directed a film called Bessie Coleman, A Dream to Fly. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. I am very excited, along with my team of co-hosts here. I have Karan, Kayla, and Joelle here to interview... Leslie Harris. Leslie Harris is a filmmaker, and if you're familiar with our 90s live tweet, we recently live tweeted one of her films, one of the most prolific films of my teenage years called Just Another Girl on the IRT, and she's here to talk to us about that as well as her experience in the film industry and also about diversity and media. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to do this. And I was so pleased to see that uh, you know, the live tweet went well, just another girl in the IRT. Absolutely. And, and I want to talk about that film because it, it does resonate with so many people. It certainly did with me. We we did live tweet it, of course, as a part of our 90s live tweet series. What What inspired you to tell this story about teenage pregnancy? Well, you know, if you look back, like the film was released in 1993, <laughs> way back then. <laughs> and, um, you know, at that time, if you go back, it was like Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. Hanging with the Homeboys. Right. Straight out of Brooklyn. <laughs> they were all male-dominated stories. And I wanted to see a woman's point of view on screen and I wanted to see someone who looked like me. And at that time, it's really hard to kind of believe that, that at that, that time there weren't stories really about black women. If we were all like an appendage, mm. we were like on the arm of the guy or the sister or the mother. Um, and I wanted to see a story of a female protagonist and, you know, what she had gone through. And I've seen um, uh, a couple of years before I had seen, uh, she's got to have it. And that was a story, you know, centered around a woman, but it was from a male point of view. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I left the theater, I remember I was like, kind of, I was so happy to see the film with the music and, you know, uh, Spike Lee's innovative directing, but I was a little furious because <laughs> I felt it was from a male's point of view. And that really kind of solidified the fact that um, I wanted to make a movie and, that really pushed me to say, I have to make this movie. And I, someone had brought this up to me when we were live tweeting this, which I, I didn't know at the time. Got a tweet from someone that said that Leonard Motlin had gave an unfavorable review stating that the film was anti-white. Well, was this a sentiment that you got from a lot of white male critics? And what, what was the climate like at that time when the film was being made? Uh, yeah, I remember the Leonard Maltin. <laughs> 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 and, 
And um, I felt it was very, like, unfair. I also felt that it was very, like, not, there were very few critics who really dissected the film in that way and, and was saying yeah, anything that the film was anti-white. I mean, 99% of the critics were, were, were favorable to the film or they critiqued the film fairly. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that the film, um, you know, we went all over the world with the film. So the film went to like 20 countries and I got to travel as well. And I remember a, uh, a Japanese critic told me, um, she said, I, I'm from Japan and I speak Japanese and I, I really know nothing about black culture that much, but I was just like Chantel. <laughs> so, wow. you know, I feel that um, the majority of people, even around the world, enjoyed the film. I mean, we screened in France, we screened in London, it was in Australia, it was even in Bosnia, <laughs> Bulgaria. So, um, you know, I really didn't get too much of that um, that kind of critic critique of the film. You know, you're going to get that. And I felt like, you know, I was like really proud of the film because I felt that it, it really showed a slice of life from a black woman's point of view. And that really made me proud. So what, regardless of what the critics said, I felt good about it. There, there are so many women uh, who have lit a fire under us, including you, writers and filmmakers like Shonda, Ava, Mara, Brock Akil, and, and, and more, and those who aspire, you know, like us to make a difference in entertainment and the arts. A lot of women are coming of age, but what would you say to the young girl at eight who's looking at a camera or the woman over 40 who's starting over with hope for making moves? Well, I, I would say for a young, young black girl who wants to make a movie is to follow your passion. And it's interesting you said that because I was just thinking, I when I was home and I, um, to my parents' home, and I um, found a loose leaf notebook paper. <laughs> and I was nine years old. And it's, you know, and I wrote something on a new, you know, a paper that said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to be a film director. Mm. Wow. And that really like stunned me because I never remembered writing. That. <laughs> wow. I just know I, I love movies. You know, I grew up loving movies. Um, you know, my brothers were like cinema fanatics. And they they were like really weird because we lived in the inner city of Cleveland. You talk about nerds, <laughs> the inner city of uh, Cleveland. And my brothers would they would love like foreign movies, and they would go like they would take the bus in the cold and mm -hmm. go to Case and Western Reserve University Cinema. Uh, they had a cinema tech in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and they would uh, uh, go to see movies like foreign movies and. And some, and my mother would uh, tell them, well, you know, your sister wants to tag along. <laughs> so <laughs> I used to tag along with them. And so at like age eight, nine, I would see Fellini, Kurosawa, I would see African movies. Um, and so I would just say for a young, a young woman, a young girl to follow her passion, someone who's eight or nine, follow your passion. Because I think, I mean, even that I wrote that at that age seems a little like, weird, right? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I was ashamed to tell people I wanted to be a director because mm -hmm. when I started directing, that wasn't a cool thing to do. 
And I felt very, I was, I'm like a cinema nerd. <laughs> so I felt very apprehensive telling people that. Sometimes I wouldn't tell people wow. because of that. Um, you know, I was kind of shy too. So I can understand like young, you know, young girls, you know, even if you, I would tell them if they could even write, like I wrote this little paper to just write your thoughts down. I think that helps even at a young age. And I would say for women who are over 40 to, to really just follow your passion. Uh, you know, I taught at NYU. I taught film directing and screenwriting. And I would always tell my students, you know, everybody's film is different. And you can have the same subject matter and everybody's going to film it differently. They're going right. to set up the camera differently. They're going to have different setups. They're going to have a different way of looking through the viewfinder and the different music you would add. So I would just say for women over 40 who want to be filmmakers, just the cameras are so accessible now. And I find get something you're really passionate about. Like I would tell my students, don't copy other people's work. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes my students would come in and they would see other films and they would try to emulate those films. And my advice is, you know, from your ex personal experience, make the film you want to make and write the film you want to write and just get out there and kind of do it. Now, Nate Parker just walked away with the biggest financial victory at Sundance and uh, I believe in Sundance history with his Nat Turner biopic. Is quality material or funding the biggest issue in getting our story seen? And where can we go for training and support? Well, I think that from after Just Another Girl in the IRT, I wanted to continue. I can talk from my personal experience and I think mm -hmm. people can benefit from that a bit. You know, it, it was a challenge because I wanted I had written several scripts that feature scripts that had black women leads. And at that time, you know, if you go back kind of thing, that was before like Halle Berry, <laughs> you know, big screen. That was kind of before Queen Latifah. Um, Angela Bassett was actually in Deauville with what's love got to do with it when I was there. Mm -hmm. So there were and, and what was interesting was. My films tend to have a black woman lead role. And most and my agent was telling me that, you know, you really have to put a male in the movie. Like mm. he has to have like an equal wow. part. So that's if you notice the films at that time always had that. <laughs> and we also had a, a thing also where um, just, you know, the distributor Merrimax really were supportive. And I, I must thank them for that because. Even putting a woman on, you know, like the poster, they call it the one sheet. Mm -hmm, right. A lot of people didn't want that. A woman by herself. Wow. They wanted a, a, a male on the poster with her. And so, you know, that's something that we have to deal with in the industry. So I think to answer your question, I think that in that sense, it had a lot to do with content. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge that we have. And I think we still have. I mean, even today, you know, as a feature director, um, look at what's going on with the Oscars. I mean, the actresses, we have, I mean, we really need work in getting black female actresses in feature lead roles. Absolutely. You know, and having the story about them. And also sometimes it's interesting because, you know, even when right after Just Another Girl, we had like a lot of films that were more ensemble films. So, there, you know, we had like Waiting to Exhale with four women or set it off with four women. It was really hard for me to write a movie and get it financed, had a, a, a story about one woman story. 
And that's very, you know, that had lots to do with marketing. They didn't think that one woman's story was that interesting. Um, you know, I did the short Bessie Coleman uh, during the fly. Uh, Bessie Coleman was the first black woman aviator in, um, in the 1920s. And she got her pilot's license two years before Amelia Earhart. And I was, um, after IRT Showtime wanted to do like short films for Black History Month, they mm-hmm. called me and said, well, what would you like to do? And I said, Bessie Coleman. And they was like, who's that? So they have to hang up (laughs) and find out who's Bessie Coleman. (laughs) But to make a long story short, that was someone who, you know, the the story was about her and it was about her story. And, um, you know, after we did the film and it won a show to Emma Ward for excellence and we had a a reception and the president of Showtime stood up at the reception and said that he was a history major and had never heard of Bessie Coleman. (gasps) Wow. So those are the type of... um, obstacles that we face in terms of content and getting financing for those type of films. So I think that that's the biggest thing. You know, it's almost like we are, we are trailblazers. You guys are trailblazers. You know that. You know, um, we have to, and I like to tell complex stories, women who are not just, the, you know, um, the girl you usually see. You know, we should have a diverse, you know, girls who are shy, girls who are intellectual, the girls mm-hmm. who are scientists. There's so many stories that need to be told, and some, and that's where the financing comes in. You know, executives, what I've had experience, and hopefully things will change because the spotlight is being brought out now about who's greenlighting the project. So hopefully, maybe things will change, but we still have to, you know, really keep on them. And uh, and as far as where to go for training and support, I say like it's, you know, go to. Um, I think, like, I went to nonprofit film organizations. Mm -hmm. I feel that you can, community organizations, I think you can shoot films and come up with ideas with people in your neighborhood. I'm a a real grassroots type of gal, (laughs) and that's really important to me in terms of training, you know, colleges, community colleges. There's so many, and also just getting out there and shoot. I mean, everybody has an iPhone, Mm -hmm. so you can really do it now. I'm trying to remember the name of the organization, but wasn't there a nonprofit organization in New York for filmmakers, women in New York? Yeah, that- and there's there's also uh, one great, great resource, and I'm a part of that. They were really instrumental in getting IRT kind of the support in terms of just giving us support. Was is And now Women Make Movies. Women Make Movies, yes. Okay. Yeah, do you know them at all? Do you know Women Make Movies? It's a great organization and, and, you know, it's great for young people in any age group to, you, you know, they help you sponsor, um, they will sponsor you to get grants. And right. my, I actually went through, um, to get just another girl on IRT, I went through Women Make Movies because to apply to like New York State Council of the Arts and some of the other granting organizations, you have to go through a fiscal sponsor. So you just go to Women Make Movies, tell them you want to make a movie, <laughs> and uh, they will be your fiscal sponsor. It's very, it's that easy. And they want to support women, and they especially want to support women of color. WMM.com, by the yes. way. The yes, great organization. Um, so I came in on the, on the younger side of uh, seeing the movie. Um, I had an aunt who was only like 10 years older than me, so... When I saw it, I was fairly young, but 
I love the use of music throughout the film. And what I noticed since the first time I've seen the movie is that certain music is reused for certain scenes. Was there a meaning behind the song selected that you reused? Oh, definitely. Like I wanted to, my whole kind of concept of the film was to hear a woman's voice, both talking to the camera, um, with the music, that was really important to me. So having uh, someone like Angie Stone, who sang uh, Mixed Up World, uh, Babies Growing Up in a Mixed Up World. My um, favorite song. <laughs> was really, you know, I wanted the music to be kind of her, her psychological, like her, what she's thinking about and her psychology behind her. So that was, that's really important, the music. And, also, I think like baby growing up in a mixed up world, kind of when I first use it, you're not sure what's going on in the movie. <laughs> and then as the movie progresses and the music like comes back, you kind of understand what the song is about. So, you know, we really went through uh, that was all uh, IRT was all original music. Uh, we had um, Eric Sadler, who worked with um, Janet Jackson. He worked with Madonna. He's worked with N.W.A. and he was our um, composer and uh, it, daddy's little girl, you know, we had music for that. So it was really supposed to kind of be kind of Chantel's of what's going on in Chantel's life. And I, I love music. Um, I love using music in my, in my films. Uh, when I did the uh, Bessie Coleman music and it's on my, you know, like on my um, Twitter account too page where the Bessie Coleman music is very important too. That was original music. That's kind of like endemic to who I am when I do my film. So uh, music is really important. And I'm, I'm so happy you kind of noticed that. The only thing is too, and Netflix, if you watch the film on Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, the music isn't the right music on a lot and on some of the scenes. And I was totally upset about that because we worked really, really hard, you know, with my composers, with the singers and with the um, everybody, my music supervisor to have this movie reflect Chantel's mindset. So when I saw that, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> I was really upset about it. So they're going to change it back to the original. And when it is the original, I'll let you guys know so you can tweet out to everybody and make sure that Netflix is, has the right one. But on the DVD and everything, it's the right music, so... For me, I want to know, what are some of the themes that you could explore in a Fingers Crossed sequel <laughs> that you were able to <laughs> do the first go around? <laughs> well, I've been asked a lot about a sequel, and I've, I'm writing, I'm actually almost done with the, with the sequel writing it. But there are things that I think that kind of definitely social media is, you know, when Chantel, when I did the film and Chantel, her story, she didn't have social media. <laughs> so that's a big part of the, uh, the sequel politics, you know, um, our criminal justice system and how this affects both younger and, you know, more mature women. And, and those themes I think are kind of like my themes. Um, you know, they always, they say that directors make the same movie. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they always make the same movie and, and, and with music. So, you know, those are kind of the, um, the things that would happen in the sequel. Uh, Leslie, I'd love to hear a little incentive on your creative process. Uh, from where do your stories come from? 
And um, kind of what's your process in bringing those stories to the big screen? That's a great question, Joel. Because I was like, well, okay. So I think that every film is like a combination of like your autobi, a little autobiographical, but also a lot of imagination. So I was telling you uh, earlier, like I, I come from an art background, so I'm kind of like an artist at heart. Like I was, I came from painting and drawing and I did animation in, in college. So, you know, that is all like really from your imagination and what you think. You know, I think that's so important that young black girls, black women, no matter what age, they keep their imagination fluid and flowing. That's so, to me, vital. And I think that everything is kind of autobiographical. So it's interesting because when my brother sees my, saw my film, he said, yeah, I know that, that, that. <laughs> so I think people who really know me can see how I kind of, you know, you kind of change it and mix it up so people don't really know. <laughs> people who are close to you really know. My creative process is I love to write. I get up every morning, like I'm up at 5 a.m. every morning writing. That's important to me. Whether, you know, uh, it's hard to get funding. And I'm like the type of person who, you know, someone said uh, on the Twitter um, a feed, a series that you were the 90s live tweet that tweet that, um, you know, it was unapologetic, unapologetically black. Yes, <laughs> indeed. And, it, and a woman's story. And that made me feel really wonderful because. Um, that's important to me that we have that both in front of and behind the camera and that my personal creative process is trying to make stories that are true to, to black people and to tell our story. And I don't mean like the stereotypical, you know, I mean, true to us because we are so, we have such a variety of interests and talents and we should have that all reflected in film. So you know, my kind of process is that I just really think about our culture and our history and what we're going through now, politics. And this is all in my in my new film called I Love Cinema, which I've been trying to get going for a couple of years. And it was actually, you know, before all the it, it deals with sex, race, police brutality and movies. And mm. it's been a, it's been tough getting this done because it has a black woman lead and it's a feature film. So, you know, we're still, I still want to get this film done. And if I have any, uh, you know, people or fans out there <laughs> to like tweet out that you would love to see another film. Have you thought about doing a Kickstarter? I actually did a Kickstarter and we didn't get the, we didn't make our goal. So, and it's probably because I didn't, I, at that time, I didn't have a lot of social media press, you know, presence. So, mm -hmm. you know, I take responsibility for that. Uh, at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, we just need, you know, I may try it again, but before I do, I think I need to get more support from people. You know what I'm saying? Like more social media, people who want to say, you know, and also too, the studios look at your Twitter page and they look at what's out there and they right. look at hashtags and all that stuff means something. So, you know, we can change the industry. Absolutely. We can do that ourselves. Yeah, we need to um, get that Kickstarter going so we can <laughs> create a hashtag <laughs> campaign for you and get your movie made. Tweet about it, listeners. Tweet about it so everyone knows. It sounds amazing. Okay, so I have one last question. So um, I'm a director. I'm currently out in Los Angeles, 
And I've been getting a lot of advice and doing a lot of like sideline jobs or whatever. Um, but a lot of the advice works really great for my white male counterparts and not so great for me. <laughs> and I was wondering if you could give any advice like from one black female director to other black female directors that maybe we can't get from anyone else. Now, actually, what have you heard? I'm just curious. Ah, uh, geez. Things like socializing are really important. Uh, I go out, you know, and grab beers with the same guys, but uh, those guys end up on set mm-hmm. two or three days later, and I don't. Right. Um, I, I know all of my step-ups have been through black women, so I'm clinging to them really right. hard because uh, they're the ones who have given me opportunities and things. Um, things, Simple things like write every day, which I've been doing, and I've uh, found space to post my work and things, and I'm applying to fellowships and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I know it's hard for everybody, but the White Boys Club out here is kind of, it's strong. It's no, strong, it no denying it. <laughs> I live. <laughs> I know. You know, it's interesting because, you know, you're not alone. Like, when I went to, like, Deauville, we were there, and all, you know, I came up in with, in, with Merrimack, so I came up with Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez. We would travel mm-hmm. to different festivals, um, you know, Brian Singer, and you can see where they all went. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. And I haven't even made my second feature. Okay. So, you know, and, 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 you know, we would be in like, uh, different festivals and the white guys would have their little groups, you know, and you could tell that the agents and the managers were kind of plotting their, the trajectory of their next yeah. movie and all that. So I totally understand where you're coming from, and it's a definitely an issue. And I think that's why, you know, we have the hashtag Oscars So White, because a lot of it has to do with, you know, who's greenlighting the project. A lot of it has to do with agents. Um, there's very few black agents, and if they are, you know, and there are very few studio heads or executives who are black. And so... To propel, to propel your career. That being said, I think that what you're doing is correct. I think networking with other black women is important. Networking with people who are like-minded. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like I'm a cinema nerd <laughs> kind of thing. So, you know, when I was with the Weinstein Company, I actually, you know, we had shot the film and, you know, we didn't have a distributor and, you know, we, I shot it in Super 16, so it was double system. So, uh, you know, you couldn't really project it. You had to blow it up to 35 and that's another like hundred thousand dollars or whatever. But I knew that because I love movies so much that I, I used to read the trades about Harvey Weinstein and Bob Weinstein and that they, and I knew the movies they made and I knew the type of movies they made. So when we actually, you know, screened, we had a rough cut and I didn't know them. I just, you know, they kind of had heard about the film through, and that's another thing in networking with people getting, you know, your film out there to different, you know, like a Huffington Post or just letting people know you're making a movie is important and, you know, social media now. But, you know, when they walked in the the, uh, screening room, I had to, like, borrow money from my father. (laughs) And when they walked into the screening room, I I knew I just wanted them, those two in there. You know, some people get a lot of people. That wasn't my strategy because I know that people like to feel special. Mm-hmm. So when I screened the film, I got up and I did a, did a little speech and I talked about my passion about movies. I talked about, you know, my going, going to tagging along with my brothers and seeing Kurosawa. And it was Kurosawa and Fellini and all these different filmmakers and Ms. Varda. And 
Harvey and them, uh, Harvey Weinstein and Bob Weinstein were movie fanatics themselves. So that was like my connection. So the advice I'm kind of giving is that, you know, be who you are and don't be afraid, like be unabashedly who you are. And whatever interests you have, be passionate about it. And it, not only will black women help you, but other people who help will help you if they feel an affinity, if they feel that passion, you know, they might like something. So I think a lot of it is that. And also, you know, it's just, it has to change and it's up to us to make the change. I was very happy to hear about uh, Jada Pinkins <laughs> making her, you know, statement on Twitter. Everybody has different ways of doing this. I think it's a complex problem that has to be fixed and we can't like fight among each other. Everybody can do what they have to do. Um, everybody has their moral compass of what they want to do. And I think that we all know who's in the business that it is terrible. Like what you're going through, <laughs> we all go through that. <laughs> and I think everybody can do something different to make a change and be committed to what, whether it's protesting, whether it's boycotting it, whether it's whatever they have to do to get this out here, because it's a problem and it's discrimination and it shouldn't be happening. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. I hope that was helpful. <laughs> you know, just get out there and keep on. Don't let anyone stop you either. You know, I still love movies. I haven't made it a feature, second feature. I could tell you stories that would make your hair <laughs> just go <laughs> because it's like the, crazy out here, you know, and it's just now coming to the forefront, you know, what you know, everybody all, you know, we've been experiencing for years. So I think, you, you know, young people are very fortunate that now people are starting to kind of speak up and that we have people like Shonda Rhimes and we have, uh, you know, people actually out here, Ava, you know, making movies and change and speaking up about the issues that we're going through and not just sitting there and saying, oh, you know, I have a little success and I don't really want to talk about that all the crew's right. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that really is something that has to be, has to change. Indeed. Wow. What a wealth of information that we've gotten on this show. Leslie, thank you so, so much for coming on our podcast. Before you go, can you just let us know where we can find you on the interwebs and give us your social media shout outs? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Les24FPS. That's L-E-S-24FPS. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, my uh, It's I Love Cinema. That's my new film. So Facebook is I Love Cinema. Um, those are probably the best ways to reach me on social media. And like I said, you know, if you got anyone who wants to see another film like <laughs> me, <laughs> Um, you know, like I said, the studio and financiers are listening and we can make a change. So um, and, you know, not just for me, but for all black women filmmakers, because I really think that we have to change things. And also, if we're behind the camera, we can hire black actresses in yes. future roles and Oscar won't be so white. Mm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Thank you, Leslie, so much. It's an honor and oh, a privilege to have you, you here. So much. I really appreciate it. I mean, I really do. And, you know, it was a pleasure to do this. And what you guys are doing is so important. And just keep on doing it because um, things will change. We have to change.
We'll be back right after this brief message. Are you looking for a really great t-shirt to wear at your next convention? Do you really want to impress your family members and friends? Or how about get a really great birthday gift or an anniversary gift for that special loved one? Look no further. Go to blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts. We have a great variety of t-shirts that come in all different sizes. Matter of fact, sizes go all the way up to 5X. And you can get a variety of assorted styles from our BGN logo to images of Derby Storm or Princess Diana or Uhura. So check out blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts. Don't miss out. Thanks so much for all of you that have supported us so far. And feel free to always tweet us and show us your shirts online. We love to share them. Send it to us via Twitter. Send it to us via Instagram. Share them on the Facebook page. We really want to see the support that you've shown for this platform. Thanks so much. Back to our show. Amanda Seals is a comedian, host, content creator, DJ, and so much more. She's currently the producer and creator of a web series founded by Issa Rae's production company called Get Your Life. Amanda has an uncanny knack for talking serious topics such as racism, rape culture, sexism, police brutality, and with humor making them relatable and interesting. She combines intellectual wit, enigmatic silliness and a pop culture obsession to create her unique style of smart funny content for the stage and the screen welcome to this segment of the black girl nerds podcast my name is jamie i am your host thank you for tuning in i am very excited to welcome you with a new special guest we have someone who is a woman of many talents she is a writer, she is a comedian, she is a DJ, she is a professional speaker, she is a host. She is Amanda Seals. Thank you so much, Amanda, for coming on Yay. the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yay! Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I, you know, such a great, um, you know, like I said, a woman of many, many talents. But assuming nobody out there knows who you are, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us? who you are and what you do. Um, who I am. I am the sun. I am a unicorn. Um, no, I am Amanda Seals. I'm a comic and a writer and a host. And I've had a couple different paths and trajectories of careers. So uh, I started out on a Nickelodeon sitcom called My Brother and Me when I was 12 as an actress and the, you know a young starlet. And then um, you have to pardon me. I'm in a really good mood. A boy has me very happy right now. So you're Aww. picking best time <laughs> to do this interview because I am chipper as hell. Oh, love. Love. Uh, let's hope he keeps it up. So, uh, because it just Elba is literally um. like, I feel like if you go left, I mean, I have a trajectory to go towards, you know. Um, so back to the lecture at hand. So I 
I then went to like performing arts high school and I, I moved to New York. Okay. I was in college at SUNY Purchase and I started doing spoken word and I've been on Deaf Poetry Jam uh, uh-huh. for two seasons and I had a radio show on Sirius Satellite Radio and then I became an MTV VJ hosting all of the hip hop content. And so for a good 10 years, like I was really in that space under the name Amanda Diva and I was writing for Double XL and for The Source. I then became a recording artist myself and I was doing music as an MC and a singer and I'm on Q-Tip's last album and I was touring with Lupe and opening for The Roots. And so I had a lot of that going on, but simultaneously, I always kept my work going as a host and as a creative. So people have seen me hosting on VH1 and MTV and BET and I've been a commentator on CNN, et cetera. And so I've kind of had this like very versatile career path to now this point where I've now recently moved to LA and have really settled in to my trajectory and my career as a comic and as a writer and as a host. And I still like DJ on the side, like I'm DJing the ABFF honors. And, you know, I still, I, I love, I still do speaking engagements and it's great because I get to incorporate comedy as well as social justice work and, you know, speaking about social issues like sexism and racism, et cetera. But I'm somebody that you've kind of like seen in random places that you're about to see a lot of in really solid places very soon. Because I am focused like a mofo. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is amazing. <laughs> I, I find that your your comedy is something that you're just, you know, I find that comedy in general is something that you have to naturally be good at. But it's not really built for people that want to be trained. Do you find or believe that Ooh. to be true? Or is that not always the case? I think that is incredibly accurate. And I've never thought of it that way. But I definitely do not like being trained. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny you say that because when I went to SUNY Purchase as an acting major, I was in the conservatory for a year. And then some bullshit went down, as bullshit does. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and And I left and I was asked to take a year off and then come back. And... Halfway into my year off, I was just taking classes at SUNY as I wasn't in the conservatory. But halfway into that year off, I was like, I don't want to go back. I don't I don't even like what they were doing in terms of training, because it felt like it was taking the natural, organic skills and dopeness that I had and just turning it into something else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which I think a lot of black artists in general kind of feel like you have soul in in what you do. And then it's almost like it's. You get into an institutionalized situation and a lot of times it's kind of like they're trying to truncate it to fit it into a box that makes sense for them. Tone it down. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I ended up just, I was like, I'm going to quit school. I'm done. And then I had a professor who was like, you're too smart to quit school. Quit playing. Let's figure it out. And she found out that I could create my own major and they didn't have a black studies major at my school at the time. So I created black studies of the concentration in the arts. And then I went on to get my, gra- my graduate degree in black studies at Columbia. But all of this kind of came out of just like not wanting to be under the thumb of authority, <laughs> I guess. So like, we're not like just wanted to chart my own path. And, right. you know, there was a lot of years there where I was kind of just doing all different stuff. But when I found my way to stand up and I, I found my way to the comedy community, it was like, I've, this is going to sound cheesy. So just prepare yourself. It was like, I, Found my way home, you know? <laughs> uh, it's like at the end of Colored Girls when it's like, I was missing something, something promised, a lying on of hands. Like, it was like that. And 
it was like that because I found a community of people who were very similar to me and just kind of wanting to chart their own course and say their own voice, say their own thoughts and speak in their own voice and figure that out in their own struggle, <laughs> which you can't train somebody to be funny. Like you can train somebody to have better timing. You can train somebody to be better at finding the sources of funny because as I've evolved as a comic, like I've gotten better at, at realizing the things that particularly make Amanda funny in the Amanda way. So that's training. Mm -hmm. And you, you kind of get that from other comics that you have a rapport with, et cetera. But you know, that's what I love about comedy. It's a meritocracy. Like at the end of the day, there's no auto tune to save your ass. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to continue on this idea of kind of building your own and uh, doing things your own way. I know a lot of women, particularly listeners of our podcast, are focused, their career goals, like, doing multiple things. You know, whether yeah. they're on the internet or doing whatever. And a lot of times we're told, you know, you just pick one thing or you're going to do too much. Well, what shit. advice would you give to women who want non-traditional careers? You know what's funny is that I feel like it's only non-traditional to people who can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Warren Buffett ain't telling nobody to pick one thing. He owns everything. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? There's just this this limitation that gets put on put on people just not just women but there's major majority of people can do one thing and that's great you know what i'm saying like no one is slighting that or taking away from that some people feel like that's the best way for them to be most effective fantastic but i feel like when you tell somebody else just pick one thing you're you're putting your limitations on them. And I don't think it's necessary like they're doing it in a malicious way or in a bad way. You know, sometimes it's coming from a place of, you know, protection and you want to just make sure someone gets their real shot at succeeding. But yeah. I had people tell me so often in my career, like, you need to pick one thing. You can't be a rapper and a singer. You can't be a host and a poet. Like, you can't be a comedian and a writer, which is also insane to say to somebody. And if I was not all of those things, I would not have the apartment I have. <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally, like, let's just keep it 100. You know, the reason when people will be like, Amanda, like, what is, what is your most proud accolade of yours? I'm like, that I'm still here. Like, that's what I'm most proud of, that I'm still here, that I'm so relevant, that I haven't even gotten to my peak. And I've only been able to do that because I was able to like, vacillate between certain skill sets and certain career spaces that were changing with the times. And like, listen, we're at a time now when things change so rapidly. Like when I was coming up, we didn't have cell phones. Now we live in a world that doesn't even know how to exist without cell phones. Mm -hmm. Like that's mm -hmm. a thing. So no, do, uh, do you, my only thing is that if doing multiple things is not effective, then maybe truncate that. But if you're somebody who can multitask and you found a way to make these multiple things work in symbiosis, then who the fuck, sorry, can I curse? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Have at it, you. I'll be cursing. I'll be cursing. Um, now, who the fuck is anybody to tell you that you shouldn't do that? Because I'll tell you this also, as I've come to LA and I'm kind of just in, in, more elevated circles than I was in New York. The, the multi-hyphenate is like a unicorn out here. Mm. So if you have the skill set to write, direct, and star in your own shit, do it. 
you know, that's, that's yours journey to take. And especially as black women creators, we cannot let anything hold us back, let alone somebody's opinion on how we should be doing something. If you do it and it don't work, try something else, but try it. People can't see me, but I'm nodding my head so hard right now. (laughs) I got a church fan over here. (laughs) No, that's all, but... So in your commenting along the way as you're making your trail here, you've had to deal with a lot of, I don't say a lot, but, you know, misogynist and and the ill-informed. Perhaps most infamously in a CNN interview you did about catcalling. And I'm wondering, how do you manage to let calmer heads prevail when you're dealing with people who are just so uninformed? You have to, like, decide to know when to recognize that the vision is bigger than the moment. And it takes some training, especially if you are woke, because once you're aware, and I feel like I came out the birth, I like, I came out the womb woke. Like I came out the womb like, (laughs) oh, hell no. Like that was like, I didn't cry when I was born. I said, oh, hell no. Like that, (laughs) you know, like I was counting how many black physicians there were in the room when I came out of the birth. So, um, so you when I was younger and in my like twenties and I'm, you know, I'm studying African American studies and I'm just, I'm every day waking up with my fist in the air. You can sometimes feel like, well, if you don't challenge these ill-informed and you don't like step up to the plate that you're being fake, you know, or that you're not like down for the cause, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But you come to realize one, that your energy has to be preserved for the bigger fight. And also that like, a lot of times if you don't let that cooler head prevail, then your message gets smothered by your behavior. And like we saw that with Richard Sherman. Remember when he was speaking very, you know, very profoundly and profusely at the end of a football game and they were like calling him a thug for, for having an impassioned opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, you know, as especially as a black woman, we already show up as the angry black woman. Right. Right. Like before I open my mouth, I'm the angry black woman. Part of that is also because my eyebrows are perpetually furled because I told you I'm like, oh, hell nah. But there's there's a there's a journey that you have to take to kind of get to this place. And I'm still on this journey of being able to recognize, like, you know what? I'm going to let you I'm going I'm to let you have that. I'm going to let you finish. And I'm going to just plot on your pettiness. You know, that's, I had some shit go down last night that I had to really woo-saw. <laughs> and just like, you know what? That's what, it's just the, you know what? Like, you know what? I know, I, I know I'm better than you. I know I'm better than this whole situation. So I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna sign up for this. And you just, and then you plot. I call it plotting on their pettiness. You plot on when, cause it always comes around. Situation always comes around. It may take 10 years. Oh, but you will get your time. Oh, yes. Yeah. You will have your Sealy moment where you can say, I may be punk. I may be black, but I'm here, Lord. I'm here. Like you will have, you will have that moment with Mr. And when you do, you just want to make sure that you're ready with your knife and fork. You know what I mean? To hold at his neck at the dinner table. And, uh, and so you just got to kind of just resolve to be patient with what's destined to happen, which is that you're going to prevail. Mm-hmm. Um, being Can I answer the question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. It was excellent. It was an excellent answer. Um, 
being that you're a woman of many trades, I am as well. So typically I'll have to tell people I'm a stylist, I'm an online personality and like 800 other things. When people ask you, what do you do? What's typically your go-to like quick elevator pitch that you give people? So here's the thing. And I had to learn this the hard way. Like most people just don't have time for your greatness. Mm -hmm. So you got to give them your greatest. That was really good. Let's write that one down. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So like. I had to find like, what is the umbrella that most justifiably contains my gifts? And for me, that was comedian. Because even within the context of comedian, like there's writer, there's host, you know what I mean? There's performer, there's actress, like there's just a lot of implied things in there. But I also knew that I couldn't claim that unless I did stand up and did it well and got accepted by the stand up community. And so I kind of charted that course and it, has turned out well. And, you know, because if you, if you're not doing stand up, then you're not a comedian. You're, you're just a comic. Like you're just funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that that was, was the thing that could be the skeleton key to make it all make sense. So in, in my advice to anyone out there listening who just has like this grab bag of dopeness, you find, you figure out also in that situation, like what would make the most sense. So like you just said that you are a blogger. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're a blogger, but like you're also a personality. Mm-hmm. So like if you're speaking to, you know, a line, what kind of blogger are you? I'm a lifestyle blogger. Lifestyle blogger. So if you're speaking to a line that you feel like would have some synergy with your blog, then you are a lifestyle blogger. But mm-hmm. if you're speaking to someone who is at a network or is creating content that would need hosts, you are a host. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's, it's dope because, you know, you, you don't have to be one thing all the time. And it, there's a certain point where you kind of do need to create a clear space for people to like come to you in because Mm -hmm. we're just in a world where there's just a lot going on. So when you make things simple, you kind of can cut through a lot of shit, but you figure that out. Like you, you arrive at that. And it, it's taken me a lot of patience to understand and believe that. And then you show up and you're like, oh, shit, I did it. Okay. Yeah. What was your one standout moment in the entertainment industry where you're like, yes, I made it. We're in formation. We did this. Like, what was your moment that, like, was your winning thing that made you keep going? Well, I haven't had my, like, I made it moment. I mean, I feel like that will be when I get a check that can pay off my college loans. Like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's I struggle is real. I will Instagram that check. Real. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I've had like little kind of, you know, you're hopping, you're hopping on lily pads and and stones, you know, like amongst a pool full of sharks. Right. So that's what the entertainment business is. And every time you make it to the next one, it's like, okay, I'm I'm doing the right thing. I made it. And sometimes that can mean a job. Sometimes that can mean an email from a fan. You know, sometimes like I remember when I was doing VH1 July 4th jam with the roots, I had to walk up this like really long street to get to the stage where I was going to be hosting from. And on that walk, I couldn't believe how many people were saying they liked my web series, Things I Learned This Week, which is a web series where I take 
sketch and commentary. And I talk about what's going on in the world at present through the lens of being a black woman in the black community. And people were like singing the, the theme song and shit. And I'm like, what? <laughs> because I'm doing this in my apartment, you know, me and my team, we're kind of doing it for us and for the people that watch it. But you just, you just, when you hear, when you see that people are watching it, like humans, not just numbers on a counter, it's very inspiring and encouraging. And I'm going through that now with my latest series, Get Your Life, which is on Issa Rae's YouTube channel. And, you know, I, I thank Issa for giving us the space to do the show because I put all my money and my time and I, you know, I wrote it and directed it and starred in it. And it's really like, it is the closest thing I've had to a baby. I mean, <laughs> from gestation uh, to nurturing. I mean, you know, I might as well have edited like at my breast. So like just seeing people in LA that I don't even know being like, Oh, like I love your show. Uh, those, those things help you keep going because especially for artists, like we, we need assurance. We need applause of some sort, you know, whether it's likes or hands clapping or just a pat on the back or email. We're creating from such a raw place, such a naked, vulnerable place that like you need to feel safe. And when people tell you they like your shit, it makes you feel safe to continue creating, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, there's, there's been, there's been a myriad of keep going and, you know, I'm glad I'm still doing this moments. There's been times where I'm like, I should have chose nursing, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but I would say, like, I'm, I I would definitely say that I'm at the best time in my life at present that I've ever been in. I'll say that. What What advice do you have for women who are interested in comedy or writing comedy and want to carve a path for themselves in the entertainment industry? Don't expect anyone to help you. Hmm. People will help you, but don't go into it waiting for them to. I found that I've gotten the most help by just being demonstrative. And, uh, you could talk all day, but you need to do it. And I've been having a lot of meetings with a lot of execs at networks and at production companies. And they're all like, we want black women's voices, but we're not getting any. And, you know, it's like, we have to be unified and we need to be willing amongst each other. And we also need to just be like I said, demonstrative. You need to do it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not going to be on the level that you want to do it yet, you need to know that you have a string of other ideas that will come after that. But like if I had just thought about doing Get Your Life and didn't do it and just was like waiting for someone to like put me on, then I would not have advanced as much as I have in the last six months because now I have this like actual product that is a definitive example of my skills, of my passion and of my humor. And so as women in comedy, especially black women in comedy, like we are so kind of put to the side that if we don't start getting louder and getting more practical with what we're doing and not just waiting, we're going to continue to be marginalized like that because folks don't folks don't really I think that there's like this also for a long time. There's been like a very limited kind of idea of what black women comedy sounds like. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and I'm really working hard to change that and to be a part of changing that as a stand up and be a part of changing that as a writer. Thank That's you. so awesome.
Yeah, absolutely. That's super awesome. We're talking a lot about black women and supporting one another's and making like non-traditional careers. And I'm wondering, how can we support and uplift one another aside from just watching and sharing? I mean, I think as creatives, we can also be better about that. You know, like it's hard because you're on your own grind so crazy, you know, that you're like, I don't have time, but you kind of got to make time. Like I was surprised at how many women were just not even interested in doing my web series. Hmm. And like, yeah, exactly, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and just like, just the shade, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I want writer's credit for improv. Nope. That's ridiculous. Oh, you know, I'll oh, just send it to my representation. Really? <laughs> Bloop. You know, and oh, I don't want to do a scene with like eight women. I would rather just do a scene with me and you. You know, and stuff like that. I can see your faces. I can see your faces because you're just like, really? And I was the same way. Me and my supervising producer, we actually started a list of all these broads. And the list is titled canceled because you have to figure out who's on the team and like who's in the tribe. And on the flip side of that, there were just also those so many women that once I kind of like got over those that I was able to connect to that were just like, I'm down. I'm not doing anything on that Saturday. I'll be home on my couch. You know what? Let me come and be a part of your vision. Let me come and be a part of advancing your 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 creativity and your artistry. I mean, like, you know, Cree Summer, we were at brunch, and I was telling her about all the bullshit, and she was like, well, you ain't going to have that problem with me. Let me know when you want me to do your show. I was like, excuse me? Wow. And Cree is she so was cool. Like, <laughs> Yeah, she was like, no, like we gotta we gotta support each other and i think that that's something that like you asked like well what can we do to support each other sometimes it's just showing up you know just show up sometimes yeah. it's just sometimes it's even just referring someone that you can't like maybe you can't make it sometimes it's referring someone else but it's really just like how do you help somebody make their vision happen and oftentimes it can be like just by showing up i know for me my time is, is all over the place. So I don't necessarily have, you know, a lot of time. So for me, sometimes it is like just sharing it or just co-signing something, you know, I'm being like, yo, you got to check this out. But also though, you got to have your ducks in a row. Cause you also can't like ask somebody to do some shit, but you don't have a script. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or that's the other, the other flip of it is like, we need to step up how we present things and, and how we are operating in the professional space. And we need to stop acting like everybody's your homie. And when you approach other professionals that you want to support you, you approach them like, listen, so I've got this idea. Here's my log line. You know, here's my script. Here's how I'd like you involved. And when you approach people in that way, you're also showing them the respect of their craft. And that encourages them to want to, you know, give back to what you're doing. And so, yeah, I think that it's, it's both sides. It's kind of like you, you show support to other people by also showing that like you're about your shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Just by just being on point sometimes is also just like how you show support. I just want to see more stuff added to the canon. You know, like when people ask me, well, what made you write Get Your Life? What made you produce Get Your Life? I very honestly say that it was seeing my homegirl, Shala Loriston. She did a web series called Clench and Release. And I was like, I need to do my shit. Like, because we're out here and we're creating and we're brilliant. And I want to be a part of this. And I was inspired by Charlotte. I'm always inspired by Charlotte because Charlotte is brilliant. And that's what really like pushed me to say, you know what? 
I can do this. And that's what we have to do for each other. We need to just do shit because then someone else sees it and says, you know what? I can do that. That was a reference to a chorus line. (laughs) (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) So I've been thinking a lot about getting into comedy and like taking improv classes and just doing more in comedy, mainly because people think I'm funny. And I don't, I mean, I just, am me, you know, like, I'm like, this is just who I am, like, whatever. But in situations <laughs> where people, like, hire me because they think I'm funny, I'm like, I can't just be funny. Like, you, you need know. to learn how to be. Okay, because my question basically was, what do you do in those awkward moments when people are like, oh, she's really funny. Like, do something funny, like, perform. It's like, I don't... Oh, well, that's just silly. When people do that, you're like, where's the check? (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's like, you wouldn't tell a plumber, like, fix this toilet. You know what I'm saying? We're by one. Fix it. Like, no. Where's the check? Like, what are we doing? So for me, I was always, I was you. Like, I was that girl who was just like, I was funny. You know? And I didn't really necessarily know how to be, like, funny on cue. Or if if you said to me, like, you know, talk about Donald Trump, I'd be like, Like, I would just talk about it, and if we're lucky, we'll stumble upon some funny. But I wasn't, I didn't know how to, like, consciously craft that funny. Doing VH1 is actually what what trained me to do that, because when you go in to these clip shows, they have a basically a paragraph, I mean, a a packet of questions, and they're asking you questions about the different clips that you're viewing or the songs, et cetera, et cetera, and you just have to, like, be able to have funny sound bites on deck. Now, I am not a punchline comic. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have set up some punchlines per se. I mean, sometimes I do, but that's not like my, per, my forte. Mine is observations and stories. And so I just had to, over time, I just learned how to, and I'm still learning how to draw from that when I need to. And it's, it's, I mean, it takes practice. So when we talked earlier about like, training I think training is different than practice uh Mm -hmm. because if you talk about training from the point of view of like someone telling you okay now do this now do that now do this that's different but then there's training as in like just working the muscle right Mm -hmm. so in creating things I learned this week that was also so that I would be able to work the muscle every week of like how do I talk about things Mm -hmm. how do I do that in a sketch format How do I do that in a commentary format? And then over time, I just built up a trust with myself. So I'll find myself getting stuck sometimes and I'll be able to be like, bitch, please. Now, you know (laughs) how to do this. And so like taking improv and being a part of that world, it works the muscle. And then you, but by, you know, you start getting laughs and you start getting a rhythm with yourself and you start trusting yourself and knowing, you know, okay. I know what to do now because I've done this. I mean, that's life, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. This was so much fun. This was a great interview, Amanda. Thank you so, so much. Oh my God. We are. (laughs) Well, before you go, can you tell us where we can find you on the interwebs and give us your social media shout outs? Uh, So you can find me all over these interwebs. Uh, Right now, I really, really want you to go find Get Your Life on YouTube.com Easter Ray. It is a hilarious, straight to the point, uh, black, beautiful, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. It's just woman (laughs) type show. (laughs) And um, 
And I want you to go watch it also because I had a great team of people that made it happen and that came together. And when you guys watch and you comment and you support, like it, it, it flourishes to everyone involved and enhances their artistic and their creative talents. And you can follow me on Twitter, Amanda Seals, Instagram, Amanda Seals, Facebook, Amanda Seals, uh, and YouTube, Amanda Seals. Those are the best places to follow me to see what's like coming up. I do a lot of live shows in LA. I'll actually be speaking at the University of Tennessee on March 5th. I'll be doing my side eye seminar, which I would actually like to do in LA. So I'm trying to figure that out too. But there'll be a lot of stuff coming up because I kind of just got my LA legs. You know what I mean? And so now I'm, I'm settling into knowing where I want to go with certain things and And there's a lot of great stuff on the horizon. So keep up with me on social media at Amanda Seals, S-E-A-L-E-S, and be a part of the fun. It's a good time in Amanda Land. Amanda Seals, everyone. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. I do. I hope you feel that. I hope you understand the sincerity coming from this side of the sky. This was so much fun. Thank you again. I love it. In this final segment, we speak to Johnny J, who is the co-creator of a website called A Tribe Called Geek. A Tribe Called Geek is a website for the indigenous nerd, and their tagline is Indigenerdity for Geeks at the Powwow. A Tribe Called Geek offers a plethora of information for the subculture, including areas in STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and math, art, literature, entertainment, cosplay, gaming, you name it, they have it. Also, they have a weekly radio show that they produce. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. I am so thrilled to introduce you guys on this segment to an incredible content creator who you may have heard of or you may not have heard of. I've not heard of them until I was on Twitter one day and someone had tagged their Twitter handle to me and I went to the website and I was super impressed by the content the amount of content, and most importantly, the mission behind the work that they're doing and the niche of the kinds of nerds that they are trying to reach. I'm here with Johnny J, who is the creator behind a website called A Tribe Called Geek. And the tagline is Indigenerity for the Geeks at the Powwow. And I also have here new podcast co-host J.N. Monk. Thank you for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast, by the way, J.N. Monk. Thank you so much, Johnny, for for coming on our show. Appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yes. So tell our listeners in detail who you are and what do you do? Well, my name is Johnny J. and I'm from the Oto, Missouri and Choctaw tribes of Oklahoma. I am the founder of a tribe called Geek, but I'm also the managing partner of Native Max Magazine, and I also manage and produce for the Success Native Style Radio Network, and I also do a lot of activist work as well. I'm a founding board member of Not Your Mascots and Live Indigenous OK. And just to be clear, your website focuses on indigenous nerds and geeks, and you speak to all types of areas of geekdom, cosplay 
science fiction fantasy. You guys have a podcast. Like, you guys are doing it all. So what inspired you to create a tribe called Geek? Well, I believe that representation matters and that every voice creates a spark for change. And, you know, Native Americans, we're just over 2% of the population. And our contributions and involvement as Indigenous people to geek culture and STEM fields are severely underrepresented, you know, as are our contributions to almost every other aspect of the world. So, you know, I feel it's important to highlight and celebrate our Indigenuity and our contributions because we are very much a part of the contemporary and mainstream world, yet we are consistently misrepresented or we're rendered invisible by the hypervisibility of mascots, of stereotypes, and of course, the revisionist history that continues to portray us as primitive societies. So people don't often realize that, you know, our indigenous knowledge plays an important role within astronomy, medicine, math, engineering, agriculture, and even within geek culture. So I think, you know, also highlighting our contributions and involvement is important because having that positive representation could make all the difference for our Native youth. Excellent. Jan? What are some misconceptions of modern natives that you wish to dispel? We're still here, for one, and, you know, we're not the mascots. We're not the racist and stereotypical and outdated depictions that you continue to see. You know, we're also more than the poverty porn that dominates the media, and we're definitely not defeated or vanishing as Native people. And, you know, while we do continue to have that connection to our past, and continue to practice our traditions, you know, we are very much a part of the contemporary society and we contribute to the modern world. We're doctors, lawyers, technologists, you know, we're mathematicians, video game designers, graphic novelists, but you know, we're also Whovians, Potterheads, Twihards, Trekkies, and you know, we love Star Wars just as much as the next person. I've also been wondering, are there any native characters that you call your favorite and what do they do well? Well, I have Three that I just really love, and that would be Captain Paiute, Kagagi, as well as Earth from Tribal Force. And I think they do well because they are native created, and that alone sets them apart from other mainstream native characters that, you know, are horribly one dimensional because they're creators, you know, they don't have that knowledge of who we are as indigenous people or our culture beyond the stereotypes. And, you know, so I think that really sets them apart. And what I really love about them is that they use our indigenous knowledge, you know, our culture. It plays an important part in how they develop and how they use their powers. On that note, I wanted to ask, is there anything you would recommend for um, people who are writing Native characters to do? Well, let me just say, magical things happen when you allow us to create our own stories and superheroes, <laughs> because we are natural storytellers, and our stories are imbued with, like, centuries of knowledge and experiences that you just can't fake. And that goes back to representation and also diversity and us having the opportunity to have access to tell our own stories and it not always being told through a white lens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In your experience, why do you find that there is a need to create niche spaces for marginalized nerds and geeks? Well, representation matters. You know, growing up, I was involved with a lot of things that people don't normally associate with natives. I played the cello. I was in acting and vocal classes. And I was also a born nerd geek and dweeb. You know, I came into the world blowing spit bubbles instead of crying. <laughs> so that pretty much sealed my fate. And, you know, I wanted to be an epidemiologist, but growing up in a rural town, growing up around, 
you know, in my native community, I didn't see a lot of natives being involved in the sciences. And it wasn't until I attended a camp called Native Americans and Biological Sciences that it really changed everything for me because I got to see and work with natives who were biologists, geneticists, and just doing amazing things. And, you know, and while I didn't become any of those things, you know, the influences of two of my mentors, Dr. Myra Alexander Starr and the late Dr. Frank C. Dukapu, you know, they're driving forces as to why I do what I do now. And to create that space in which our youth and even us as adults can see that, you know, we as a people are, you know, we're people of infinite potential. And, you know, and just to show that it's okay to be a nerd, it's okay to be a geek. Because more often than not, it's, you know, it's sports and music that kind of dominate the representation that we see. So I think it's great for our youth to see that, you know, it's okay to identify with other subcultures and, you know, and to know that they have that support from our communities as nerds and geeks and, you know, even if you're emo or goth. Right. You know, you say representation matters and that that is so key. This isn't just some buzz phrase that is a trendy thing to say that what you see really shapes who you are and who you become. And I think that it's really important that people see other folks that are creating comic books that look like themselves or that are in STEM fields and that are, you know, doing things in the sciences and in the technology fields. And like you said, even though you didn't get into those particular areas, you were empowered to be a part of something even better by creating this great website that's empowering other indigenous men and women to be a part of a collective that's doing really fundamental and great things. I want to know what kind of work are you doing outside of the online community? And do you do any sort of representation? Do you present anything over at any comic cons? Well, outside the on online community, you know, we have a suicide prevention initiative that we just started. And I've been speaking at different schools here in Oklahoma called Indigenerds for Hope. I am a suicide survivor. So, you know, I feel it's important to let our youth know that they do belong and that they're not alone and that, you know, you can survive suicide and depression, but you can also thrive in spite of it. You don't just have to survive it. And, you know, and we're still very new, a tribe called Geek. We did start in 2014, but I wow. also work with Native Mac. So it kind of went on the back burner for a little bit. And we brought it back as a radio show. And now we have our website up. So we're kind of getting the ball rolling a little more. So we're just now getting into the Comic-Con scene. My co-host, Jackie, who can't be here, she's attending Wizard World Comic-Con in Portland. And I made her promise to kidnap John Barrowman for me. Nice. <laughs> but, you know, she's there and she's going to try and get us some interviews for the podcast. And we're still getting started. And, you know, at Tribe Club Geek, we're basically a two-person operation. Oh, my God. I mean, seriously, like looking at this website, I'm perusing it as I'm listening to you speak. And you've got the kind of content that a website that has been around for several years would have. And you have so many different categories of geek culture. What I love about this is it's not just about pop geek culture where you're just talking about one thing, like you're just talking about comic books and that's it. Or you're just talking about fandom culture and Doctor Who and that's it. You're talking about STEM fields. You're talking about art, literature, entertainment, cosplay. Like, this is amazing work that you're doing. And then you have the radio show, the podcast, which is absolutely awesome. Where do you see yourself with the Tribe Called Geek? Do you have a vision for the future 
of this great platform that you've created? I do. Representation matters. And one of the things that I'm really looking forward to moving us into is more of a, I guess you would say like more of an app base and providing ways that we can not only just talk about what it takes to get into these fields or, and, you know, highlighting our contributions and highlighting the people involved in these fields, but also to provide resources and mentorship programs Mm -hmm. for our Native youth, which is something that we already kind of do. We try to match people up that I meet, kids who are interested in graphic design or art, um, music. You know, I do try to find them mentors in their area that will be willing to take them on and help them develop their skills. But, you know, I really want to kind of move us also into more of an education field. I know there's like these, you remember the weekly readers that they used to have in school? Yeah. Um, What I really see us moving towards is providing one of those is like an indigenous weekly reader where we can show Native people as modern Native people using a tribe called Geek as to just kind of highlight Natives in education, in STEM fields, and also in literature and, you know, graphic design and just different, all these different fields. Jan? Is there any current media that you'd recommend people would watch, read, or, you know, the wife review? Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) You know, and the whole reason that I started a tribe called Geek is because there are some wonderful content creators out there. There are wonderful geeks and nerds who are just doing phenomenal things. But, you know, natives were underrepresented. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to highlight everything that everybody's doing. You know, even push forward other podcasts and other websites that are doing great things. So, you know, I would highly recommend Mati in Space and really any show on the Indian and Cowboy Media Network. They have some phenomenal shows that really give you a very diverse look at indigenous perspectives on futurism, on geek culture, just even on politics. We also have um, Indigenous Narratives Collective and Super Indian Comics. They have some great comic books that they have been putting out. And, you know, check out Elizabeth LaPonce, Stephen Paul Judge, Jeffrey Varege, Michael Shiashi, John Proudstar, Theo So, Erica Badhand, and Jay Ogic, because they are awesome graphic novelists and just artists. And they are doing so much work that is just beautiful to see. That is amazing. Where can we learn more about A Tribe Called Geek? And give us all of your social media shout outs. Well, you can learn more about us at um, www.atribecalledgeek.com. And we're also on Facebook as A Tribe Called Geek. And you can find us on Twitter at Tribe Called Geek. Thank you so much, Johnny, for coming on the show. Again, I'm just amazed by your platform that you've created. And it's good to see this kind of representation because you just don't see it. Definitely, Native people and Indigenous men and women are heavily, heavily marginalized. So it was so refreshing to stumble onto your platform and and thank you for creating it. Oh, well, thank you for having us and thank you for supporting us because, you know, we're still very new. I think uh, we only have 178 tweets. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we're still very new. We're still getting the hang of it. And again, you know, it's a two-person operation. So, and there's a lot of work that we do. And I should mention that A Tribe Called Geek is ran by two women. So that is awesome. Yep. (laughs) Keep up the great work, ladies. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. 
on a couple blogs but now i could tell the real and fake i'm still an underdog i'm hardly getting cheddar steady snacking on velveta it'll probably be a minute till i'm stacking up doritas half these tricks just want to test me like a lady brand new checking messages has got me racing off the handle one a couple instrumentals pay me and i'll send you nine environmental paperless i can't do and that's a big scan do because they steady be like give us free i'll give them back everything that they be giving to me i'm clocking 20 hours to reach a rough draft holler when you get some dollars i'll send a bounce back now i ain't money hungry my stomach really growling i'm on my grass school hustles trying to be selling my talent these fools be acting puzzled like my request invalid you want to flex that muscle you could go toss my salad but you can't have my gift you can't have my gift for free 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 if you can't handle it you can catch a turtle z's z's trick please what you talking about you can't have my gift you can't have my gift for free 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 And they purpose on the surface Some kids that's undeserving Inexplicably they earn it They tell me I be wearing Kermit's color on my person But I'm just being earnest That ain't really where I'm coming from If I had that thirst Why I'm barely asking for minimum Want a couple pesos for my rent For my breakfast Just a space to throw my eight-o's Over which I lay my message Leggings to hold my J-Lo Shirts to cover up my breasts It's 10% I pay to church The rest I'll spend on my Doors is gonna be my enemies that got the words on every chorus, but you can't.